Okay, they are both going, and I will just state for the record then that my name is Michelle Marino, and I am interviewing Choice Edwards, and I am in Indianapolis, Indiana, and you are in, is it Claremont, Florida? It is indeed, Michelle. Okay, and today's date is Friday, November 30th, 2018, and we are doing a phone audio digital oral history interview. Um, and just so I could also state for the record, I do have your consent uh, to record the interview. You absolutely do. Great. All right, well, let's get started. When and where were you born? I was born uh, in Indianapolis, January 20th, 1942, and I believe at what was then called General Hospital. Okay. Um, what were your parents' names? My dad was named Elroy Edwards, that's spelled E-L-R-O-Y, Edwards. Uh, my mother was Josephine, J, well, Josephine, yeah. <laughs> Rasdale, R-A-S-D-A-L-L. D-A-L-L, okay. And where is your family from originally? Well, my immediate family was right there in Indianapolis, but I think uh, both my maternal and paternal grandparents came from Kentucky. Okay. I'm not quite sure where. I, Paducah, I think I've heard, and Bowling Green, uh -huh. but I can't really verify that. Mm -hmm. Do you know when they migrated up to Indiana, or had they been there for a while? Or I think that was, I think they were probably the first generation. Okay, okay. What were your parents' occupations? My father, well, my mother worked for the Radio Corporation of America mm -hmm. uh, in the factory, and my father worked for the city of Indianapolis okay. in the works department. I believe it's the works department. Okay. What area of the city did you all live in? Well, actually, uh, we lived on the south side, <laughs> the near east side, and the near north side. So okay. We, uh, when I was in grade school, we were on the south side of Indianapolis around Fountain Square. Uh huh. And then when I went to high school, we were on the near east side around uh, 30th and Northwestern. Okay. Did you have any siblings, or do you have any siblings? Yes, uh, my brother Michael uh, and uh, a half sister Elizabeth. Okay. And, and where do you fall in the ranking there of the, the siblings? Uh, I think I am the second old, second oldest. I, di I didn't finish. Oh, I'm sorry. My brother Michael. Uh, I had a half brother, Elroy, named after my father, uh -huh. and uh, a half sister, um, Juanita, or Wanda rather, Wanda, and a half sister, Elizabeth. Okay. So did all of the kids grow up together in the same household, or? No. no. Just my brother, Michael, and myself. Okay. Uh, we, we had both same parents. Okay, I mother see. Mother and father. Mm -hmm. How would you describe your childhood? My childhood was pretty joyous. Um, I grew up, as I said, early years uh, on the south side of, around Fountain Square and in an integrated neighborhood, mm -hmm. although this, uh, and we got along well with our neighbors. Uh, never had any issues of any kind. Uh, we used to go 
you know, fishing at the creek and uh, playing basketball and football on the Salvation Army lot, which we thought was as large as a regulation football field, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but of course it wasn't. So, and we were involved in, in Cub Scouts, um, and that was pretty much it. Nice neighborhood, lots of wonderful people, mm-hmm. uh, no, no issues of any kind, actually. Okay. But it was, uh, you know, I guess you call a low-income neighborhood around Fountain Square in those days in the mid-50s. Uh-huh. Um, who were the most influential people in your childhood? Well, I suspect uh, my mother was probably more influential than anyone because uh, she made sure that we had wonderful Christmases and we had an opportunity to visit our uh, relatives. So I think she was most influential. And uh, I can't, you know, a lot of people will say teachers, etc., but I don't really recall any particular teacher that had an influence on me uh-huh. in my uh, development years. Okay. Did your mom work full-time when you were growing up as well? Yes, she sure did. She yeah. Worked full-time, as I mentioned, at the Radio Corporation of America, full-time. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, my grandmother, her mother, mm-hmm. uh, my maternal grandmother did not. Uh, she was unemployed, and so much of the time uh, she you know, raised us, was mm-hmm. there supervising us. Yeah. And obviously she would have some influence because sure. of the fact that we were with her uh, most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, what understanding, if any, did you have about your family's politics or political beliefs as a young child? As a young child, I recall hearing people talking about the presidential candidates at the time. Mm-hmm. And of course, it went all over, right over my head. <laughs> right. But I do know since my grandfather, my mother's father, mm-hmm. uh, was involved in a union, Okay. I think he had some position in the union, probably no more than a steward, I suspect. But as a result of that, uh, we were heavily influenced by Democrat politics mm-hmm. so at you, that time. Uh-huh. So you were sort of, and the labor union, and the labor movement. Okay, okay. And labor unions. So you were kind of vaguely aware, particularly through the union, about politics, right. but not, you know, in any great yep. depth. Okay. And no great death at all. I was not a participant of any kind, of course. I was, too, I was not of a voting age at the time. Mm-hmm. But as uh, around the uh, dinner table and in conversations, uh, people would be mentioning uh, uh, political affairs. Mm-hmm. And I was acutely aware of the fact that uh, since my grandfather was, in fact, with the union, that it was more favorably <laughs> democratic <laughs> politics. Right. So was that something, did they talk more about union going, union politics and things like that? Or do you recall them talking about state or, you know, national elections? Uh, National elections for sure, but mostly, yeah, but it was mostly uh, supporting the uh, AFL-CIO, whoever they would uh, Mm -hmm. want to endorse for political offices. Uh Basically, if the union was in favor, then my grand parents were in favor, uh-huh. influenced mostly by my grandfather, who I believe was involved in a union. Okay. Um, we, what, I'm sorry, I'm not very articulate here today. Um, yes, you are. Take your time. <laughs> um, I know you said you started school in the Fountain Square area, but what, 
where did you attend junior high and in high school? Okay. Uh, and I was, of course, uh, in grade school before uh, mm -hmm. the 1954 uh, Brown versus the Topeka Board of Education mm -hmm. ruling that desegregated schools nationwide. Mm -hmm. But I, so I went to a segregated uh, elementary school, okay. number 19, as I recall, okay. on the south side. And then after 54, I went to Harry E. Wood School for what we call middle school these days. Okay. And then uh, and I went to Short Ridge High School from there. Mm-hmm. My husband's a teacher at Short Ridge High School right now. Oh, great! Cool. <laughs> yeah, in, uh, I'm on the I'm in the Hall of Fame there. As are a you? Of fact. Yeah. Yeah. Have a, they have a plaque on the wall. Yeah, I've and seen. I, I've walked by those. I haven't looked closely at them yet. I've yeah. only been in a couple <laughs> times, but um, it was a great school. Now, Short Ridge was integrated by the time that you you went there, right? It was integrated. I graduated in 1958, okay. uh, and I guess I started there probably in '50. Five or fifty-six, mm -hmm. and yes, it was it was integrated, and again, we it, it was folks got along very very well. Uh -huh. uh, I, I I honestly believe that the counselors failed me because uh, I recall <laughs> I was sixteen years of age, and the counselor called me in and said, "Hey, you have enough credits to graduate," and I didn't. I said, "I wish you had said." You might want to bring your grades up. You might want to stick around a little bit <laughs> longer and bring your grades yeah. up. But I did not, did not get that kind of guidance. Yeah. Uh, so I felt, and, and I suspect, and the same same thing holds true today. Mm -hmm. uh, guidance counselors just have too many, so many students. Yeah. That they can't really provide very good, in my view, right. guidance and direction for those students, especially those who probably need that guidance more than others. Sure. Especially, yeah, when they have so many students, it's really hard to give that individual attention. Um, sure. Well, it, it, you know, you mentioned Brown versus Board, which um, was ruled on in, in 1954, and it's my understanding that, you know, well, that was obviously a hugely monumental case, but it really took a long time for schools across the nation to be desegregated, probably more so in the South, but what was your view? Do you feel like Indianapolis moved along pretty quickly in that, or had the process even begun before Brown versus Board here? As I recall, I felt like the process had moved along fairly quickly in Indianapolis because, as I recall, all the high schools were integrated. Okay. I suspect Christmas Attucks High School, mm -hmm. which was originally built just for black students, mm -hmm. uh, was, was probably not integrated uh, very well or very much at that time in the mid-50s, right after uh -huh. the uh, Supreme Court ruling. Okay. But I, I think most other schools, uh, McKellar, was, were, were pretty well integrated. Okay. But, of course, subsequent there, too, back in the 70s uh, and even, even, even in the 80s, uh, you know, there were suits about desegregation right. because it, we felt like it was, it was not being as beneficial as it was supposed to. People were not implementing it as much as it should have been. And right. of course today even, uh, folks are resegregating themselves. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I know- Because of housing patterns. Yeah, yep. And I know in, in different parts of Indiana in the 70s, busing was such a controversy as well. Yes. Yeah. Right, mm -hmm. okay. exactly. 
And, you know, I served on a school board, too, and I re recall when I was a kid, they used to bust me for segregation, and mm. then people started complaining because they were being bussed for integration. Right. It was okay to bust for segregation, but right. not, to, not to integrate. I thought that was ironic. <laughs> to say the least. Um, <laughs> when you were in school, did you play any sports or have favorite subjects? Uh, actually, no. Uh, I played sports when I was in elementary school, mm -hmm. basketball, baseball, and football. Mm -hmm. But when I got to high school, I did not. Yeah, okay. Um, well, as a, a child and then into your teenage years as well, what were your views about the state of Indiana or being a Hoosier? I was pretty proud of being a Hoosier. I, I, I sort of thought the world revolved around Hoosierdom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when people, when I would see people, especially people from the South, uh, I would think, boy, poor, poor people, they live down in the South. Mm -hmm. That's where all the ignorance is. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> uh. I, I knew no better. I thought, mm -hmm. again, Indianapolis, I thought was fairly sophisticated. Uh -huh. and of course, it, uh, 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 when I had people visiting, even from New York City, I thought, uh, you know, again, that they were not nearly as advanced as we were in Indiana. <laughs> but I was a young person. Yeah. Well, <laughs> or a true Hoosier, whichever. Uh. Yeah, exactly. Um, where, so I'm sorry, if you can tell me again, what year did you graduate from high school? 1958. 1958, okay. And then where did you attend college? I went to Ohio Central State in Xenia, Ohio. Mm -hmm. And I attended Indiana, what was called at the time, Indiana University Extension. Okay. And where was the extension at? It was uh, in downtown Indianapolis, okay. uh, around close to where the World War Memorial is, uh -huh. and some buildings that the university had uh, rented. Okay. So did you graduate from Ohio Central, or did you finish up at the Indiana Extension? I did not finish at either one. Oh, okay. As a matter of fact, yeah, when I, after my freshman year, I thought I knew everything, and so I didn't go back. <laughs> okay. Um, what was your major, or what Boy, were you was studying? I was <laughs> <laughs> well, we all think that when we're 18 or 19, I think. Uh, yeah. What was your major, or what were you interested in studying? Uh, Pre-dentistry. I thought I would like to be a dentist. Hmm. Okay. Um, well, what then did you do after you left college? Uh, after I left college, then I, I started working, actually. Mm -hmm. um, I worked uh, for the Veterans Administration for probably a year. And then I worked for the United States Postal Service for, I think, two years. Are those jobs that you were interested in sort of pursuing as a career or just sort of happened into, you know, working them? I was not interested in pursuing them as a career. Mm -hmm. just needed to, I just needed to have income and to go to work. <laughs> sure, sure. So then, and then after the post office, then I started working for Indiana Bell Telephone Company. Okay. And you were with them for a while, right? Yeah, um, I think three or four years. Okay. Three or four years. Okay. Um, well, did you have particular career aspirations, or, or what did you want to do with your future? Well, I wasn't sure, actually. I, 
I, I will say this, I knew that I no longer wanted to have a blue collar job, I wanted to have a white collar job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and so back in the early 60s, I thought working for the telephone company, and at this point, it was in yellow page sales. Uh-huh. And I said, oh, I'm try- I'd like to try sales. And so I enjoyed that. Uh-huh. But then uh, along the line there, after a couple of years in McKellar, um, I decided to go into the advertising business with a couple of friends of mine. Okay. So we started an advertising business, Davidson and Hardy Associates. And that led me to become active uh, watching politics again. Hmm. And as a result of that, I was asked if I would like to serve in the Indiana legislature. And I said, sure, why not? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so... I went from the from the uh, Veterans Administration a very short period of time, I think less than two years, to the post office, probably a couple of years, then to Indiana Bell Telephone Company, first as a yellow page salesperson, okay. then as a communications consultant, and then my, fi- my final uh, position there was as the, the Director of Urban Affairs. Okay. Well, what did that position Which, entail? It entailed, since we had a tremendous, uh, this was a time when cities were, um, there were riots in cities over civil rights, etc. Mm-hmm. And the telephone company has a tremendous uh, investment all over the community, of course, but in urban areas as well. Mm-hmm. And a part of my responsibility was to formulate uh, scholarships and grants for organizations that are there to assist the communities. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, it didn't last very long, however, because yeah. I started working for the federal government. <laughs> yeah, right. So, yeah. so, so as you um, entered those new positions, um, and as you're sort of maturing as a, a young man in your 20s, in what ways did your awareness of politics evolve then? Well, I think the civil rights movement uh, was the spark uh-huh. Uh, I was so proud of uh, the, the movement and Dr. Martin Luther King mm-hmm. that uh, I wanted to do what I could, uh, as limited as it was. And, and I was also struck by the fact that I recall fairly vividly my grandmother, especially because my grandfather had, had passed, uh, saying, I wish Martin would just leave things alone. Uh, he's just, he's a rabble rouser and he's causing mm-hmm. us a whole lot more problems uh, by this movement. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, <laughs> I don't understand that logic, you know. Uh-huh. But we, we need to be as free as everybody else in this country. So uh, that was uh, the impetus, I think, for me to get involved uh, in politics. Mm-hmm. Were you involved in various civil rights organizations in Indianapolis or, or part of activist movements? Yes, uh, I was a- active in the, as a matter of fact, uh, I was vice president of the state NAACP Youth Council wow. at one time uh-huh. before, um, you know, before mm-hmm. even I went over to Ohio Central State. Mm-hmm. I was, and so I was involved in the NAACP mm-hmm. Youth Council 
Um, and I think that was it at, at that time. Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh, and I, I, I attended the national convention, the 50th NAACP national convention in New York City, uh, where we had some youth behind Martin Luther King as he was addressing the convention there. Oh, wow. And that was, it was a thrill for me. I bet. Can you tell me more about that experience? Well, uh, I, I don't remember a whole lot about <laughs> it, actually. But it was, it was my first time uh, to visit New York City, and I was just uh, amazed at, at the city itself. And also, uh, there was some controversy going on that I didn't quite pick up on because uh, I was, you know, 17, 18 years of age. Mm-hmm. Uh, something I didn't quite pick on, but I guess there was some kind of a communist uh, element or something that was uh, that uh, the leaders of the NACP were trying to squash at the time, mm-hmm. and I didn't really uh, fully understand it. Mm-hmm. But I just remember the experience of being there and, and, and with, with so many people who were pushing to uh, or people of uh, African ancestry mm-hmm. to uh, have equality in the country. Sure. Was that the first time you had heard Dr. King speak or in person? In person, yes. Yeah. First and only, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's really that's really amazing. Um, well, how you said that you grew up in a family that, that certainly had leanings towards the Democratic Party, and I understand you ran as a Republican for the legislature. Yeah. So how did you um, sort of switch parties in that process? Well, as I mentioned, Michaela, um, I was involved in the advertising, and one of our clients, actually both of our clients, one was the Democrat Party and one was the Republican Party. <laughs> uh, they were asking us to, to, to do some work for them. As a result, uh, I guess I came to the attention of Keith Bulin, who uh-huh. was the chair at the time, and mm-hmm. Nola Allen, who was the vice. And I think they took a shine to me, mm-hmm. and they, they said, uh, would you like to run the state legislature and I said why should I and they said because we are going to win (laughs) (laughs) and I said (laughs) touche sold (laughs) yeah so that's how I became involved as a Republican they uh prior to that time I uh I I think I was probably registered as a as a Democrat but I don't actually recall Mm -hmm. um but I said yes absolutely Mm -hmm. um because I thought given the fact that uh, the civil rights movement was underfoot and making progress, I thought, well, maybe I can, in some small way, contribute. Uh-huh. Well, I know... Because I felt like, I, you know, people used to, used to say, well, if you're Republican, you're an Uncle Tom, if you happen to be an American of African ancestry. But I also felt, I felt, the way to change a party is probably better to be done within mm-hmm. than without. And so I felt, if I'm going to make any changes, positive changes for the Republican Party to make the tent larger, mm-hmm. it's better for me to be on the inside. That's really interesting. Um, well, and Keith Bielan was a very sort of powerful figure within Republican politics. How well did you know him at that point? Well, pretty well. Uh, mm-hmm. I got to know uh, Keith pretty well, uh, just from a political standpoint, not so much from a personal standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I, I thought he was a, a, a great leader, a uh, young up-and-comer in the mm-hmm. Republican Party, not only statewide, but even nationally. Uh, so I, I, I had some respect for him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, all, and also for Noel Allen as well. 
truthfully, everybody that I most of, I would say ninety percent of the people that I met when I was involved in Republican politics in Indiana mm-hmm. were outstanding individuals, mm-hmm. uh, just uh, wholesome people. Mm-hmm. I so I'm a little bit unsure of the timeline here. If you'd help me piece this together, um, but how okay. then did you get involved with the Indiana? housing authority or was it the Indiana sort of branch of the federal housing authority? Indiana branch of uh, federal housing authority, HUD, United States Department of Housing and Mm -hmm. Urban Development. Yeah, I I moved over there from the telephone company in 1970. Okay. So as a result, I had to resign from the state legislature. Okay, that's what prompted that. Okay. Yeah, and that that was a little... Uh, problematic because, as I recall, the legislature at that time was 51 Republican to 49 Democrat in the House. Uh-huh. So by me resigning, it uh, made it very, very close. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, well, we'll come back to that here in, in just a couple of minutes. When, if at all, did you get married? Uh, we got married October... 29th, 1963. 1963. And what was your wife's name? Judy. Judy, okay. And, and how did you all meet? Well, as she would tell you, I, I uh, chased her through the halls of Charter Ridge High School. <laughs> Do you have a different version? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> yeah. We met in high school. I think I was probably either 15 or 16, and she was probably 14. Uh-huh. So we met in high school and okay. got and married in 63. Okay. And did you have children? And still married. Oh, well, congratulations. You must have just come upon an uh, anniversary last month then. Yes. Um, did you have children? Yes. Uh-huh. We have two children. Uh, our oldest is Kelly, uh, K-E-L-L-I, mm-hmm. um, and she was um, 1966. And our son, Kerry, 1969. Okay. I sent you a bio. I don't know if you received it or not. I did, yes. So okay. I, I, okay. I, I, I know some of the answers to these questions, but I do want to get them on record as well. Um, well I understand. How did your family influence your career in any way? Actually, I don't think my family influenced my career in one iota. Um, mm-hmm. I just don't recall any particular influence from mm-hmm. from my family. I, as, as a matter of fact, I wish I had more. Uh-huh. And the reason for that is uh, I had two aunts who were teachers, and I cannot ever recall one conversation with either of them that insisted, you go to college and you finish. Uh-huh. I don't recall one instance of that, mm-hmm. and that has always disappointed me. Because mm-hmm. I graduated when I was 16 years of age, mm-hmm. only because the counselor said, hey, you have enough credit to graduate. Right. And, and, and I should have had, I wish I had the wisdom to say, well, you know, looking at my GPA, maybe I ought to stay a while and bring that up. Maybe I can get a scholarship someplace. Sure. That did not occur. Uh, and so I, I just wish that they had been more um, helpful and more encouraging mm-hmm. to insist that uh, everybody in the family uh, go to college and, and complete their education. Mm-hmm. 
So I, didn't, I don't think I had much of an influence uh, from family, as, as mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. I think most of my my major influences uh, came from motivational speakers. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Like who? Yeah. Uh, Zig Ziglar uh, comes to mind. Uh, Dennis Waitley. Uh-huh. Uh huh. and Grow Rich. Uh, you know, uh, uh, authors like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, would read uh, positive mental attitude books. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was always very helpful. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And of course, I always considered Jesus to be a motivational speaker as well. <laughs> sure, probably, probably the 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 most well known, I'd say. Yeah, exactly. Um. Well, did yeah, most of my I think most of my influence came from uh, came from within me. Okay. Uh, and, and engendered by uh, the works of. Uh, uh, motivational speakers uh-huh um did your would you say that your career or your experiences influenced your family in terms of education or in terms of moving around for different jobs did that affect your family in any way i believe so um, I, I, you know, my, I know my daughter we insisted that uh they go to college my son uh, did not uh, but my daughter did mm-hmm. and since then, of course, both their children uh, are going to college. Mm-hmm. And my grandson, one of my my daughter's son, uh, played football at the University of Kentucky for four years. Oh and, wow! And uh, graduated. Now he he and his his girlfriend have a apparel business that they started, and they're huh. doing fairly well. But mm-hmm. you know, still small. Sure. And he intends to play foot, professional football with the new. Uh, Football Alliance of America, I guess it's called. Huh. So yes, I think as a result of uh, me saying, saying, saying to my children, you know, you have to go to college, you have mm-hmm. to get a degree, and probably, probably have to uh, get an advanced degree. Mm-hmm. So I would preach that yeah. absolutely, positively would you know preach that because I, I, I suspect I would have been a much further professionally in my own professional career mm-hmm. had I uh, completed my undergraduate degree at least sure sure okay well I was going to ask about the the shaping of your political outlook but but you sort of already addressed that through getting involved with civil rights um so maybe my next question would be as you initially became involved in politics what were key issues or legislation that you championed or fought against I think uh I wanted, this goes back a long time, I can't recall very sharply, <laughs> Michaela, okay. but uh, I, I wanted to do something for uh, people who were uh, addicted to drugs mm-hmm. and also for to do whatever I could to uh, stop recidivism. Mm-hmm. So I knew, I, I think I sponsored or at least signed on to legislation that would uh, help mm-hmm. uh, folks who were incarcerated and also folks who were uh, under the influence of narcotics. Sure. Was that an, an issue that you had seen in Indianapolis or just things that you had read about or? Uh, mostly things that I had read about. I uh, mm-hmm. didn't see a whole lot in, in, in Indianapolis personally, uh-huh. but it's mostly things that were probably topical at the time. Sure. Nationally. Yeah. Okay. Well, who were your national political heroes as you were sort of entering politics? Uh, well, uh, 
Brooks, the, the Republican United States Senator from Massachusetts, mm-hmm. uh, whose name right now I can't recall, but uh, uh, Senator Brooke was because he was Republican, mm-hmm. and uh, several Republican uh, office holders. I remember a gentleman named Blackwell, who was a, a mayor in in one of the Michigan cities. Mm-hmm. And I think most of them really were uh, uh, black Republicans because mm-hmm. I, they, I think they felt the same way I did that uh, we need to have two, at least two political parties. I happen to be no party affiliated right now mm-hmm. and have been for several years, but at least I thought that we should have at least in those days uh, two political parties that were accepting of Americans of African ancestry, not just the Democratic Party. Sure. As we used to say in those days, uh, the Democrats don't work for our vote because they know we're going to get it, mm-hmm. and the Republicans don't work, work for our vote because they know they're not going to get mm-hmm. it. So I thought that if we can change that dynamic so that both parties have to work for our vote, we'd be far better off. Sure. So uh, uh, national Republicans that were office holders, I think, were my role models at that time. Mm-hmm. Are people I aspire to be mm-hmm. like? Was there anyone at the state or local level that you had admired as you were sort of entering the Republican Party? Yeah, Judge Rufus Kuykendall. Hmm. Um, he was a Republican, and uh, I admired him. Mm-hmm. Okay. I can't tell you exactly why, other than the fact that he was a uh, a classy. A classy gentleman, uh, well-educated, mm-hmm. and uh, and a Republican. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so as Bulin um, and Allen uh, approached you to, to run for state government, did you have a campaign, or how did that process work for you? Yes. Well, in those days, uh, this is bef- uh, this we ran as we, we ran as a delegation from the entire Marion County area. Okay. There were there were 15 of us and we ran as a team. Okay. This and I think the year after I left the legislature, I think we went to single member districts, which I was all in favor of anyway. Uh-huh. Why uh, but, why was why did you like that idea better? Well, I I knew it would would, would be the death knell for my political career in the legislature because as a American of African ancestry and a Republican uh, in the district in which I lived, it was all Democrats. So I knew I would not stand a close <laughs> to a chance. But I just liked the principle uh-huh. of one man, one vote, and a single member district rather than to have, as the case then with us, mm-hmm. 15 people running all together. Just, mm-hmm. just the principle of, of the thing. In what area did you live in at that point? In the city, I lived on uh, at that point. I lived on East Thirty Fourth Street, about forty six hundred. Okay. On East Thirty Fourth Street. Okay. Uh, don't know what they call that area right now. Forest Manor, maybe. Yeah, I think I've heard that. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, as a, I guess, like as a delegation, then you wouldn't have had like a main opponent. Were you familiar of with the Democrats that were running against sort of the Republican ticket, or? Uh, I, I knew them, but did not know them well, and uh-huh. of course I considered them to be the enemy. <laughs> <laughs> so I did not collaborate with them or meet with them. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, we were on the opposite side of the aisle, so mm-hmm. uh, 
I really did not. Well, what was most important to you as a candidate then for the State House of Representatives? Getting elected. <laughs> well, how did you get that message out to the public <laughs> that you so wanted well, to be elected? Uh, yeah, uh, I was pretty effective at uh, stump speeches, going around and, and giving uh, speeches, uh, and just basically just talking about the team, you know, the 15-member teams and what uh, we plan to do to keep the progress growing and going in uh, Marion County. Uh -huh. As you know, we in, in 1970, we passed UNIGOV, and that was one of the crown jewels of our mm -hmm. efforts. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we'll come back to UNIGOV here in a second, certainly. Um, what was, you know, as you're entering state politics, what was that like for your family? I mean, your wife Judy and it looked like Kelly would have just been three or so years old and right about the time your son was born how how did that affect them? Well uh, I, I, honestly I think they were probably in awe <laughs> <laughs> that I was in the state legislature uh -huh. uh, but my my daughter was very small and uh, of course and uh, my my wife accompanied me to many many of the campaign stops so she had become steeped uh, in it just uh -huh. uh, uh, from as a participant. Mm -hmm. You're going to the rallies and uh, and uh, applauding, but not really expressing much more than that. But I should tell people as another uh, candidate who was a candidate for judge at the time, and I've forgotten his name, but he used to say all the time, since he was a candidate for judge, if you have any doubt about my my judgment, just take a look at my wife. And so I, I, I borrowed that, and I, I would say the same thing. It's a great line. Take a look at my beautiful wife. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's funny. Well, what was your very first election day like? How did you feel? I, I felt, uh, this is really interesting, I felt, wow, I can't believe it. I was in awe of myself. Uh-huh. The interesting thing, too, is that I was uh, delivering newspapers that day, the, you know, the day after, and I opened up the newspaper and there it said I, I had been elected, uh -huh. me among several others, of course, sure. but the whole listing was there. But at that particular time, I, as I mentioned, I was working in, in advertising, uh -huh. and the, in, the income, Michaela, just wasn't there, so I was looking for other sources of income, mm -hmm. and I just happened to stumble upon the Indianapolis Star or Indianapolis News, Indianapolis Star, looking for uh, supervisors of uh, newspaper delivery, mm -hmm. young men and women. Mm -hmm. And so I, that's what I was doing that particular day uh, when I was, the day after I was elected, I was out delivering newspapers and happened to open it up and there it was. Hey, I've been elected. <laughs> wow. And there I was delivering newspapers. Right, right. I suppose that that felt like you were kind of on your way up then to yes. to to do something neat. Um, right. Okay. Well, what? So you find out you've been elected. Then what were you thinking as you walked into the state house that first day? Wow. Um, I think I'm a lead. I think I am a. I think I am in a leadership position in this city now. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think I was thinking, mm -hmm. and I'm going to do the best that I can, uh, even though I didn't have a clue what to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, how then did you learn the ins and outs of state politics? Well, just really being around the, the, the party and the politicians, we had, as I mentioned, the, the people that I served with from Marion County were all excellent human beings, uh, well-educated, mm-hmm. intelligent people, and I just really learned from them. Uh, they, mm-hmm. they mentored me. Do you recall any uh, specific legislators or state senators that, you know, served as mentors as you settled into the General Assembly? Well, I think, uh, first of all, Doc Bowen, the Speaker mm-hmm. of the House, mm-hmm. uh, sort of took me under his wing. Um, he took a, a liking to me, and I did to him as well, So, uh, who obviously became governor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Doc Bowen, and then I think uh, Ned Lamkin mm-hmm. uh, was a mentor. Uh, George Rubin, he was state senator, mm-hmm. and I, I think I learned from, from George and, and Ned Lampkin uh, principally. Mm-hmm. So these, you know, George was George is an attorney, and, and Ned is a physician. So you know, how could you go wrong uh, listening to what they have to say? Right, right. Um, how well? were you in contact with your constituents? I mean, were you aware of their sort of needs and wants, or what was that contact like? Yes, uh, I would get uh, inquiry, uh, do this, do that, uh, information please, from constituents uh, the entire time. Mm-hmm. One thing though, I humorously, my telephone number at that particular time was, the exchange was I think, Five four seven zero 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 zero, and I went to a meeting. I went to a meeting, and a woman was complaining about something. And I said to her, "I will check that out. Please give me a call." Mm-hmm. Gave her my phone number. Never heard from her, Michaela. Huh. I saw her subsequently, and she said, "And this is at a public meeting," and she said. You don't do X, Y, and Z. And I said, what do you mean? She said, I asked you, and she, meant, she mentioned what it was she asked, which mm-hmm. I don't recall. And I and you gave me, and I asked you for your phone number, and you gave me 547-0-0-0-0. I said, well, did you call it? And she said, no. She didn't even try. That was my actual telephone number, and she thought I was blowing her off. So... That's yeah, I had, in, I had uh, interactions with constituents all the time. <laughs> Did you have a particular way that you communicated or interacted with them, such as, you know, uh, sending out newsletters or, or holding, you know, little town hall meetings or things like that? No, this was, this was, the, this was the primitive days of legislature. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we didn't have anything quite as sophisticated as that, okay. uh, I suspect, uh, you know, they have staffs, and uh, they do all kinds of communication these days. Yeah. Very little of that that I can recall. Sure, sure. Would you remember the first bill you sponsored, or if not the first bill, an important bill? No, I do not. <laughs> okay. Um, what, what was the regular interaction amongst assembly members like? Uh, serious to jovial. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, we could be very serious about some things. Uh, I can recall that Keith Bulin, as the uh, chair chairman of the uh, Republican of the county, would, in order to show some lobbyist his, his power, would ask certain things be done. And I, I can recall uh, bucking 
issue, and I can't recall exactly what it was, but he wanted the delegation to vote a certain way, and stupid me, I did not, <laughs> I did not follow that, <laughs> and I, I don't think I suffered as a result of it because obviously my tenure in the legislature was was pretty short. Uh-huh. But I suspect had I uh, been up for continuing in the legislature, he'd have probably brought that back to me. <laughs> uh-huh. So it, it went from, from very serious kinds of things to mm-hmm. jovial. We had, a, you know, we, I, I believe, if, to, to quote a, that philosopher, uh, Mancia, if you ain't laughing, you ain't living. <laughs> so I, I believe in, you know, and having laughter and mm-hmm. uh, trying to ease uh, tensions uh, with laughter. So uh, we would often, and, and you're taking me back, of course, 50 years, but sure. we, would, we, we, would, we would often, uh, you know, just have uh, uh, time for laughter. Uh-huh. And, and people, people should never discount that. I think it's bonding, uh-huh. and often through laughter you can really teach people something that will stay with them a lot longer than if you do it in a strident manner. I absolutely agree. Uh- what were interactions like between the majority and the minority parties then? It, nothing like today, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> nothing like today in national politics. Uh-huh. You know, we actually worked together. We mm-hmm. actually worked together. I remember Bernie White, who was a Democrat from South Bend. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and I, uh, we, we, we didn't sponsor any legislation, as I can recall, but we got along very well. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd go out and have, uh, have drinks together, have mm-hmm. lunch together. It was, uh, it, was, uh, it was, in fact, a, um, uh, a jovial uh, fellowship mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in those days. Wow. Yeah. I imagine that is very different <laughs> from today. Yes. Um, I don't know how it is in the state legislature in, uh, in, in, Indi- in Indiana these days, uh-huh. uh, but I'm just saying I know how it is in the national legislature, mm-hmm. if you will, mm-hmm. Congress. Right. Um, what differences, if any, were there between members of the House and members of the Senate? Was there much interaction oh, there? Yeah, we, but, but not nearly as much. You know, we uh-huh. did have our caucuses uh-huh. where we met together, but, you know, the Senate was more imperial. <laughs> <laughs> and what exactly yeah, they, do you mean by that? They're a little snooty. They're, they seem to be a little more snooty, I guess, because, <laughs> you know, they had been elected by more people and... Mm-hmm. And they, you know, didn't have to go out and campaign every two years. So sure, sure. <laughs> so, and and I didn't understand the workings of the legislature very well, uh, even then, of course, even uh-huh. though, while I was serving there, because it was it was pretty rapid fire. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, things were were coming at you pretty fast. And being a neophyte, uh, I'm I'm trying to learn my way around and and uh, do whatever I can to be effective, but uh, with limited power. Mm-hmm. Very limited power. Mm-hmm. Sure. Freshman, of course. Right. What was your relationship like with your seatmate? Oh, uh, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of if John John Hart was my seatmate or not. I can't. I, can, uh, I should if, be able to. If actually, not, he was very close by. I think I should actually be able to see that. Um, it. Looks like you sat by Faye on one side and Lapar on the other. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know. Well, Wilma Faye, yeah, we, you know, we were, we got along very well. Her husband seemed to be more of an influence on her and even on her on her votes in the legislature than she was. Huh. As I recall, he was, he was an executive with an airline, as I recall. Uh, 
unfair, but it seemed to me that she would sort of tend to go whatever way he wanted to go rather than mm-hmm. what her own, mm-hmm. her own internal guidance was. Sure. Uh, and I don't recall my other seatmate very well, honestly. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but you just mentioned a name. Was this um, a friendship you had formed in the legislature? Yes. Well, no. She was in the delegation. Wilma. Okay. Wilma, yeah. okay. Yeah. Wilma Faye. No, no, the person you mentioned before that. You said you couldn't recall if they were a seatmate. Oh, John C. Hart. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, he was, in, he was also in the, in the Marion County delegation. Okay, gotcha. And he was, he was sort of a, a, a mentor as well. Although John was a freshman, I think he probably had been around the legislature uh, before because he was a, a home builder and became the national president of the Home Builders Association. Uh, and I think he was, he was an influence because he, I think he knew his way around the legislature. Okay, yeah, so he kind of helped show you the ropes as well. Yes. Um, you know, again, I know it's been a long time, but can you walk me through the process of generating a bill? Do you sort of remember the steps or what that looked like? I cannot. <laughs> That's I okay. Have to, I would have to go back to my to my civics class and, and figure out how a bill becomes a law. Uh-huh. It has been a long uh-huh. time. Well, and you were only I, in I, one I, session. I kind of recall, yeah, we, first of all, the legislative, I think it's called the legislative council in those days, would mm-hmm. have help to draft the legislation that you wanted, mm-hmm. and they would do some research on it. Then that piece of legislation uh, would be introduced and be assigned to a committee mm-hmm. uh, of, the, of the House or the Senate, as the case may be, and then that would be voted on and it didn't come out to the floor for a mm-hmm. for final vote. Those are the steps that I recall. Sure. But I am close to 77 years of age. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good recall, I'd say. Um, <laughs> how did you garner support for your legislation? Uh, again, as a freshman, I was I was a, a complete sap. I uh, would just talk to individual legislators, as I recall, but uh, I had no grand plan. Mm-hmm. And uh, those who were my, my mentors, uh, in terms of garnering re- uh, support, I don't recall much that I got from them in that uh-huh. aspect. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. Did you have a sense of how people would vote prior to actual voting? Yes, but there were times when you'd be surprised. But yes, uh-huh. typically we'd, we'd have a sense. And is that because would you would go to caucus or just knowing yes. from conversa- backroom sort of conversations about topics? In my, in my uh, instance, it was from the caucuses. Uh-huh, okay. From the caucus. Okay. Well, what were the values of the Republican Party during your time as a legislator? As a legislator, the values were, were self-reliance, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, uh, being able to uh, make, make it on your own, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, and mostly self, self-reliance, uh, and I, I was not involved too much with, with uh, thinking, at least, about taxation policy, etc. Mm-hmm. My my whole thing was just you know being able, and I think this was the influence of uh, positive motivation and motivational speakers and books mm-hmm. uh, that you can whatever the mind of man can conceive it can achieve conceive and believe it can achieve, mm-hmm. and so that was 
that was, and that's what I was getting from the Republicans at that time. Uh huh. And how did that play into your ideas with civil rights, or how did you use that to further civil rights, if at all? Well, I, I, I think the same thing, that it sometimes put me at odds uh, with, other, with, with, with some people in the civil rights movement. Uh-huh. Anytime I would espouse about um, um, you know, making it on your own, mm-hmm. so to speak, I would get pushback. People say, well, you know, you talk about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, but if you don't have any boots, you don't have any straps. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so, yeah, I would get pushback uh, from people about that. Mm-hmm. You know, we, you know, you, you talk about uh, getting ahead, but if you don't, if you don't get a quality education, how are you going to get ahead? Right. And I realize that there, there, that affects more people than those few people who succeed despite having. Uh, a not very right. auspicious education, but the majority do not. Uh huh. So how uh, did how did you reconcile it, or how would you address that when someone would say that? Well, I frankly I just kept kept uh, the same ma- m- mantra. You know, uh-huh. uh, if you can if you can if you can believe it, you can achieve it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, you know, just keep working, just keep plugging, mm-hmm. never give up. Mm-hmm. Okay. During your tenure, what roles did party leadership play? Oh, a pretty strong role, as I mentioned. Uh, if, you know, you, did, you didn't want to cross party leadership because uh, they could come back and hurt you <laughs> <laughs> if you wanted to continue in politics. Sure. So, yes, uh, party leadership uh, was important, uh-huh. and they would exercise their power when mm-hmm. uh, they felt like, it was important to do that. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned, just for, for Keith trying to um, appease the lobbyists to show his power in terms of being able to control the votes uh-huh. uh, of the Marion County delegation, he would say, okay, maybe something completely innocuous. I'm going to ask them to vote so-and-so. Uh-huh. And I think on one of those occasions, I didn't do as he said. And, uh-huh. uh, and there may have been a, one or two others who did the same thing. Mm-hmm. Who, but it was a it was not a really uh, critical vote of any kind, other sure. than to show that he had he had the leadership of the delegation mm-hmm. in, his, in his pocket, if you will. Right. Well, what did you think of Doc Bowen as Speaker of the House? Uh, I revere Doc Bowen. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I thought he, he, he I thought he, the man was fair. Uh, he uh, he just did a fantastic job as as Speaker. My my only. Uh, observation of a, a speaker was Doc Bowen, and uh, I thought he was fair. I know anytime I would ask for something, uh, he would give it to me, and I can't mm-hmm. recall specifically uh-huh. anything I did ask, but uh, uh, he, he was a fair man. Mm-hmm. He was a fair man. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously a bright man, very bright man, because he became uh, you know, one of the, a cabinet officer. Right. Uh, so right. A bright man. Mm-hmm. And a fair man. Okay. Uh, we've talked about this at a couple of different moments throughout the interview, but in what ways, if any, did national issues affect legislation in the General Assembly or, or operations of the General Assembly? Or, or maybe when I say when I maybe I want to say that, how did you know the social political turmoil of the '60s and '70s um, trickle down into the General Assembly, if at all? I can recall one thing that uh, that I regret. 
and that is uh, Doris Dorbecker, and mm -hmm. I can't recall if Doris was a senator or a House member. Oh, she was a House member. Doris Dorbecker, uh, during the session that I was in, had a visitor from South Africa, and I started to get up and take, Doris introduced a young lady that she was visiting, and she was from South Africa, and I started to get up and, and say, I welcome this young lady from South Africa, but I do not welcome apartheid <laughs> in mm -hmm. South Africa, and I didn't do it, uh -huh. and, I, and, and I, I regret that to this day. Uh-huh. Because I just, I, I didn't want to, uh, well, I guess I sh shouldn't say embarrassed, because I, if you're involved in apartheid, it should be an embarrassing thing for you. Right. If you're, if you're, if you're a purveyor of that. Sure. But I just wanted, I should have made the point. Uh -huh. uh, I had an opportunity to make the point to demonstrate that uh, apartheid is not good and it's uh -huh. not acceptable, mm -hmm. and I failed to do that. So that's about the only thing that I recall uh, mm -hmm. from a national standpoint, or international in this case, mm -hmm. That, uh, that I recall that mm -hmm. one instant because it, it has stuck with me to this day. Hmm. The other thing was, <laughs> when it comes to integration, every member of the General Assembly apparently received an invitation to join the Columbia Club in Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. And I received that invitation. I did not realize that the Columbia Club was segregated. Oh. And so I got a I got a call from somebody. I think it was Nola Allen saying, "I told her, oh, I got an invitation to join the Columbia Club." She said, "Well, is it wired?" And I wasn't quite sure what she meant. And I said, "What do you mean wired?" She said, "Well, is it going to be approved?" And I said, "I don't know. <laughs> I got the invitation, so I think I'm going to send it in," which I had not done. Mm -hmm. and the, the only point was that uh, I don't know if that would have been an incident of note or not. Had I made the application, been turned down, and then had a stink over it, but I, I, I never sent the uh, application in to join the Columbia Club. Hmm. But interestingly enough, you know, of course, it's been integrated now for several years, but at that time, uh, apparently it was not. Wow. And everybody received an invitation, and uh, silly me, I just thought I'd send mine in too, but, right. but I didn't. Well, how Nobody did that... Me. Maybe, not. Maybe, maybe you don't want to do that. Well... How, I'm not sure what I want to ask here, but like, I, I, not how did that make you feel, but did you, you know, you're in the state legislature and yet still being discriminated yeah. against. How did you deal with that, I guess? Yeah, I felt like, wow, <laughs> I can't, you know, as, as you might imagine, I felt like, I can't believe this. Yeah. I'm, I'm being told, you know, I've, I've been elected by the people to represent them, but I've been told that I cannot join a, a private club because I'm not white. I just felt like, is this real? Yeah. But then I realized, well, this is the 1960s. Mm -hmm. Wow. So. Well, you, you just, literally my next question was, did you ever feel you were treated differently based upon your race during your time at the General Assembly? Maybe other than that instance? No, no other time. Okay. What does the public not know about the General Assembly or how it operates? Hmm. I suspect everything. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I, and I say that, that not in jest, really, but so few of us yep. are involved in politics mm -hmm. that we don't have a clue. 
I, I listen to people talk about, constantly talking about, as an example, Michaela, the, the Congress, and then they say, and the Senate. And yeah. I have to tell people, well, the Congress is <laughs> two houses. Uh-huh. <laughs> one's the House and one's the Senate. Right. That makes up the Congress. There's not the Congress and then the Senate. Uh, people just don't know, and since we, st- I guess we stopped teaching civics in class in, in, in school anymore, that people don't know how government works, yeah. even at the local level. I mean, I, when I go to city council meetings and, and uh, very few people come, unless there is one issue, and then they come for that one issue, don't know how the process at the, at the city council is supposed to operate, you don't know when they can say something, they don't know anything about the process at all, and, and it's exacerbated by going to the county council meetings, which, you know, I attend some of those, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but I never attend the legislature here in, in Florida. But people don't know anything about government. All they know is what they see on television when they hear somebody talking about an issue. Right. But in terms of being intimately uh, in, uh, knowledgeable, they don't. So I right. would say everything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, th- I think you're pretty accurate on that, especially at the state level. Um, yes. More so even than the national, but I think I think you're exactly right there. Um, yep. Do you recall any particular controversial legislative issues during your uh, session in the legislature? Uh, only, no, only the uh, Unigov, and uh-huh. only because you know there was pushback, especially from the minority community and Democrats about that. I don't recall much, it, you know, I just don't. Mm-hmm. I suspect had I, had I returned to the legislature, uh, I'd had a more seasoned memory. Sure, <laughs> sure. Uh, well, what do you recall about um, the, the process of, of getting Unigov through, or did you play any role in that? Uh, just, to, just to support it, that's mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. Just to support it. Okay. I thought it, I thought it was good. I, you know, when you, when you listen to uh, Dick Luger explain uh, why he thinks it's important, uh, it made sense to me, because uh-huh. uh, they explained to me, and I could see it, that the core of, of uh, Marion County was becoming, you know, less and less prosperous, uh-huh. so we sort of had a, we, we had a, a, a donut with a hole in the middle, mm-hmm. and the influence was in the surrounding townships. So the idea was, to make the whole thing prosperous by having a Danish, if you will, <laughs> and, and and making it better for for development to to occur, uh, and it made sense to me at that time. Uh huh. Okay. What was your proudest moment as a legislator? <laughs> Absolutely nothing comes to mind. <laughs> Maybe just being a legislator in, in itself. Yeah, that, I think, well, yes, I will say that for sure. I think being a, a legislator, representing my family, mm-hmm. myself, you know, my wife and children, mm-hmm. uh, and also being uh, an American of African ancestry that's elected to the legislature. And this is the 1960s. Mm-hmm. You know, there's been, of course, I, I'm trying to recall how many Americans of African ancestry were elected, were public officials back in the 1960s, or nearly as many, of course, as there are today. No. And so I think that was some, something to be proud of. Mm-hmm. 
Certainly, absolutely. I know you served on several different committees, um, but I, I, I saw that you were the ranking member of the Welfare and Social Security Committee. How did you get that as a freshman legislator? I, I think Doc Bowen just uh, liked me, and I guess he wanted me to have a, a, a profile uh, uh-huh. in the legislature. I suspect he thought I would probably be coming back. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, I think just the, the generosity of uh, Doc Bowen. Okay. And then, you know, the, the whole reason we have been in touch here is that you served on the Constitutional Revision Commission. How did you come to get that appointment? I have to confess, Otis R. Bowen, <laughs> <laughs> I, was one, I was one of his appointees. Okay. Uh-huh. And, and what do you recall about this commission? I, I don't recall much other than meeting a couple of times, and uh-huh. I don't recall much of the committee work that was done, and uh, I don't recall much of it at all. Just uh, a couple of meetings at the State House mm-hmm. that I recall, and I think when we finally made our recommendations, uh, but that's, other than that, it's pretty fuzzy to be very sure. honest with you. Well, I think that that was the commission, though, that looked at some pretty important topics, um, because I think that was the one where you all were assessing whether there could be two terms for the governor, um, filling legislative vacancies, and the governor and lieutenant governor to run jointly. So there certainly were some interesting things under consideration. Yeah. Yes, there were. But again, I just... Uh, oh, yeah. It's been 50 that. years. <laughs> I understand. I understand. Um, what, in your opinion, is the most important work of the Indiana General Assembly? earlier that you left the General Assembly to go work for HUD. Can you tell me a little bit about how that came to be and, and what that looked like for you? Yes, I uh, actually I was working for the telephone company at the time and they asked me to stay on because they sort of promised me if you stay around, uh, we, we think we have you on a career path mm-hmm. that you can become a, a VP. Wow. But for some for some reason, I thought, boy, I'd sure like to learn something about housing. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, maybe I can learn what I want about housing, and and I'll be happy with that. That would be my career. i maybe become a, a housing real estate developer like John Hart, who was uh, in our delegation. So John told me, he said, well, if you really want to learn uh, housing, probably the best place is over at the Federal Housing Administration. Hmm. And he said, they happen to have an opening right now, and they're looking for someone. And I said, oh, really? So I talked to the uh, gentleman, I think his name was E. 
station in Indianapolis at the time. And I said, I understand you're looking for someone, and I think they probably were looking for a minority. Mm-hmm. And so that was the impetus for me going there and applying to the Civil Service Commission to, uh, to uh, get the job. Okay. Then in, in competition with other people, of course. Sure. Um, so then did you have to resign your seat? Yes, I did. Okay. And you were in the last session before the change where they um, uh, went to uh, yearly sessions, right? So you served the 1969 session and then... Right. Uh-huh. Okay. And then uh, maybe that took place in 71. Wait a minute. I'm trying to think this. I thought we, I thought we had... Uh, I thought, yeah, that's correct. Yes. Okay. Yes. Indiana, we only had... Yeah, we served one... One session in two years. Right, right. Now I guess they're serving once every year. Right. Session every year. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what it is in Florida, yes. Okay, okay. That's correct. Okay. Um, How would you summarize your time as a state legislator? Brief. (laughs) (laughs) True. I I think brief, but but nonetheless rewarding. And Mm -hmm. also... I think it set me up to do other things okay. in my life. Mm-hmm. It opened doors for me. So how, how long did you, or what career path did you follow then? What doors were opened for you? Well, uh, becoming, uh, I started working at HUD, mm-hmm. and I moved, I moved up the chain there. I started as special assistant to the director of the Federal Housing Administration Office. Mm -hmm. Then I moved up to being the deputy director. And then finally, I became the director in Pittsburgh, based on my track record in Indianapolis. Well, how long were you in Indianapolis? or with HUD in Indianapolis before you moved to Pittsburgh? From 1970 until 1991. Oh, wow. Okay. 21 years in Indianapolis, and then then went to Pittsburgh, then South Carolina. Okay. And how long were you in Pittsburgh? I was in Pittsburgh four years. Okay. Four and and a half. Four and a half years, approximately. And then to Columbia, South Carolina? Yes, for two. For two, and then to Florida? Yes, I retired then, and retired when I was fifty-five. Still oh, wow. young, 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 net wet behind the, still wet behind the ears, young person. Well, <laughs> that's the best type of retirement to have, I think. <laughs> uh, well, what have you been doing during your retirement? Well, uh, I uh, have been volunteering my time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I uh, well, first of all, I have been. I was chairman of the superintendent search committee here in Lake County, Florida. Mm-hmm. Lake County, Florida had an elected superintendent of education. Mm. And having served on a school board before, I thought, gee whiz, why would you have that position elected rather than have a professional? Mm-hmm. So uh, some people were looking at changing that, and so they, wanted, so they, they did change that and wanted to search for a superintendent, and so they elected me to chair that uh, committee, 
Wow. So we, for the first time in years, had a we searched and found a uh, professional superintendent of education for Lake County Schools. Wow. And I've also been, uh, I served uh, on uh, in the city I live in, Claremont, I served uh, on the Beautification Parks and Recreation Committee, mm-hmm. uh, Beautification Committee. Uh, I was a docent for the Historic Village, which is uh, a, a small village here in Claremont that has uh, some historic houses and mm-hmm. a school library mm-hmm. here, and I've been a tour guide for that. I've also been uh, chairman of the Wislacoochee Long-Term Care Ombudsman Program, which is like a five-county area in mm-hmm. Central Florida that I was chairman of, and now I am serving as one of three at-large members of the Florida Long-Term Care Ombudsman Council. Basically what that means is the ombudsman visits assisted living facilities uh-huh. like nursing homes, etc. Mm-hmm. Make sure that residents are treated with dignity and respect uh-huh. and that their, that their civil rights are not being abused. So we visit those nursing homes and, and check on that. And if we have complaints, we investigate those as well. Uh-huh. So I did that I did that for five years, and then for two years I was not doing that. I thought five years was enough, uh-huh. and then and then the state called me and said, "Would you like? We would like to have you be one of our three at-large members. Would you do that?" And I said, "Well, sure." <laughs> so I've done that now for <laughs> two and a half years, Goodness. and uh, I started uh, a philosophers club here in Claremont. Mm-hmm. That's one of the started, and soon after. We invaded uh, Iraq. Mm-hmm. I uh, started a philosophers club because I I wanted an outlet to be able to discuss political things and philosophical things. And uh-huh. so I started this club in 2003, and it's been going ever since then. Wow! So we we meet. We used to meet twice a month. Now we meet once a month, and we any subject. It's more it's more uh, street philosophy than you know uh-huh. other philosophy. It's more street philosophy. We get together. Like going to a beauty shop or a barber shop, I guess, and we just uh-huh. talk any number of issues. Well, there's <laughs> we, certainly we plenty to talk about. So. Absolutely. <laughs> well, uh, I've done that, and uh, well, I've also been at, uh, in Orange County, which is where Orlando is. I'm 20 miles west of Orlando. Okay. But I've also been an Orange County senior ambassador. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you are staying also, busy. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. And also, uh, uh, I volunteer, used to volunteer with Seniors versus Crime, mm-hmm. which is a program out of the State Attorney General's office, and we investigate uh, attempted frauds and frauds perpetrated mm-hmm. on senior citizens mm-hmm. and recuperate money for them. Sure, wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you are certainly, yeah, giving back to the community and keeping busy. Yes, and I've done volunteer all my, uh, you know, really all my life. I've, uh-huh. You know, several commissions and boards that I've served on in Indianapolis, Pittsburgh, and also mm-hmm. Columbia, South mm-hmm. Carolina. Wow. And I, and I write a ton of letters, opinion letters to the <laughs> newspaper. <laughs> well, that'll keep you busy, too, certainly. Um, 
Well, I know you haven't lived in Indiana for a while, but you certainly were here for, what, close to 50 years? Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So how has the state changed over the course of your lifetime, or at least your lifetime living in Indiana? It's become, first of all, it's expansive now. Mm -hmm. I remember when we had, you know, the, the, the townships around Center Township, now it's one megalopolis, it seems to me. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it's, just, it's just expansive now. Mm-hmm. You used to be able, when, you, when you, you, there was actually a country you could drive into, I mean, a, a, rural, a rural area. <laughs> yeah. You drive from, uh, you know, from, center, from Washington Township to, you know, Carmel, as an example. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a lot of green space in between there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I suspect now it's, it's very, very little green space now. So the yeah. community has just grown tremendously, and it's become much more sophisticated mm-hmm. than it was, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it's still a great, great place to live. I just can't quite take the cold anymore. <laughs> I understand cold that. <laughs> Again, you know, you, you served in 1969, but we're in Indianapolis um, into the 90s, so did you have any sense of how the General Assembly changed, or were you paying attention, I guess? I wasn't really paying attention, but I, I do know this. Uh, just uh, just because of technology, mm-hmm. uh, it, it has changed. I suspect that uh, the legislative council, as was called then, has more probably has more staff. Mm-hmm. I think I believe the individual legislators have some staff now, whereas we did not have. Yeah. Uh, but I think the individual legislators have staff. I don't know if they if they have individual offices or not. We had no offices. We just met on, you know, on the on the floor of the uh-huh. house. Uh, I don't know if they now have individual offices or not. It's, they do in Florida. Yeah, I think they do have pretty small offices over there. They yeah. they condense the floors. I think at least around the Senate um, to be a little bit right. smaller, and then they have smaller offices. Yeah. So. So that plus the fact that you said, of course, now they meet every year. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that it's just become what it's become a much more like everything in life. It evolves, and it's become a much more sophisticated operation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, my final question is, in your opinion, what, if any, enduring qualities do Hoosiers still have or hold dear? Um, I think uh, a quest for good education. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure... This is not just Indianapolis, but the entire state, a, a quest for good health care. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, I hope this is true, uh, a desire to have a, a much more diverse and integrated society. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well... You know, I think we've covered a lot of topics here. Is there anything that I haven't asked or any topic that you want to talk about that we haven't gone over? Uh, I think that is, you covered everything and done a <laughs> tremendous job. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, it has been a pleasure talking with you today, and I really appreciate you taking the time out of what I think is still a very busy schedule to uh, chat with me. <laughs> Well, thank you, Michaela. I appreciate the opportunity, and you've done a magnificent job. Oh, well, thank you so much. And I will make sure to get those forms in the mail to you in the next day or so, and then I will just watch for them uh, to be mailed back.
That sounds like a winner. Okay. Well, thank Have you. Have an outstanding day. <laughs> you do the thing. You do the same. Thank you so much, Choice. Bye bye. Bye.